everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. My name is Kendra, and I'm a part of the core community of CMYK. We're a bunch of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. Before we jump in, I want you to know that everything we do as CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love what CMYK is up to and you want to be part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we are able to continue our work and give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are already giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk. Hey, uh, before we jump into it, uh, just a couple things. I want to make sure that everybody knows, first and foremost, uh, you obviously found where we are and what's happening, but this is our only gathering now with CMYK, so five o'clock on Sundays. Uh, We love it that you're here this evening, so thank you so much for uh, just making this a worthwhile thing. We say a lot when it comes to this thing called CMYK, this thing no longer is a thing if people aren't a part of it because we believe in the work of community and just connecting and talking about uh, these things that matter. And so those of you that obviously have said no to other things to say yes to this. Thank you for being here tonight. A couple things about this space. If you don't know, the restrooms are located in the back if you're ever looking for those. And then there is some parking in the back. So if you had trouble finding parking out front, there is some parking in the back that Sunday nights uh, should be fairly open uh, that you you can park back there if, if you need to park there back there and are looking for that as well. So what's that? The back door is open. Yes, we will make sure that the back door is open for you. So, all right, I want to pray really quickly, if you don't mind, and then uh, we're going to jump into it tonight. God, I'm so grateful for the people, the stories, the voices in this room. And it's my hope, I believe it's a lot of our hope this evening, that we are taking this time, not just for the sake of saying it's Sunday and we got to do something, uh, but that we're here with some intention. And that part of that intention for us would be to think about, to process a more beautiful way forward together for our lives individually and for the relationships and connections around us. And God, we believe that there is this invitation for us to to put our hands towards uh, things in life to see goodness, truth, beauty be found in and around us. And so it's my hope that this conversation this evening would stir and spur those things into existence in some ways. Love you in the name of Christ. We pray, we say together, amen. So tonight, uh, if you've been following along um, or if you are not a part of it, we do have an email newsletter that you're welcome to sign up for that's over by the front door. Uh, But in that newsletter, we kind of announced what our next series is. And it's simply this, Our Favorite Stories. And this is a series that I've been thinking about for a while. And I'm I'm actually more excited than normal when it comes to series because what I want to do is just take a few weeks, whether it's myself or someone else who's communicating, and just talk about some of our favorite stories when it comes to the scriptures. That The Bible, as many of you know, is filled with a lot of stories, some of them very, very well known, some of them incredibly obscure that we've never heard of before. Some of them have some deep meaning and truth for us, and some of them just feel really awkward and ancient and uncomfortable for us to talk about. And all of those things are a reality, yes, of dealing with an ancient text like the Bible. But for us to take a few weeks and to talk about some specific stories that I think have so much importance for our lives today, that these stories that are thousands of years old would potentially be able to speak to us here in 2020. 
And tonight, I want to open this series by talking about what honestly is uh, probably uh, one of the most influential stories for me personally out of all of the scriptural texts outside of the life of Christ. This story, for whatever reason, is something that I connected with years and years ago, and it's something that continues to influence me where I am today. And it's a story that takes us back to the year of 1300 B.C. At this time in history, there's a nation of people known as the Israelites. They're the people that scriptures spend the majority of their time talking about this tribe, this family and community known as Israel. And what happens around 1300 BC is that the Israelites are a nation. They've kind of formed themselves into some sort of structure. They have a plot of land that they call their own. All the things that make you a nation, they have. But yet, to this point, they don't have a true monarchy or leadership structure that has a lot of power and strength. And so it's in this period of time in history that the nation of Israel, yes, exists, but does not have a strong, powerful king or army that is able to take on people that are coming against them. One of the things that is important to know that I think many of us know when it comes to ancient cultures is the way that you show and assert your dominance and power and strength is not just in economic growth or power and strength, but it's found in your ability to conquer and take on the neighboring nations around you, that you're able to show we're stronger, we're better than you are. And at this period of time, 1300 BC, what we find is that the nation of Israel has been taken over by a group of people known as the Moabites. And they are led by a character known as Eglon. And Eglon is the king of the Moabites. And he is someone that in scripture has been leading the Moabites to conquer Israel over and over and over again. Keep them under the foot of the Moabites for 18 years at this point. So we have King Eglon. We have the Israelites. They're under oppression. They're not okay. They don't want their life, their nation, their world to look the way that it does But then, in Judges chapter 3, this is where the story gets interesting for me. This character, by the name of Ehud, is introduced. And Ehud, he's given this specific identifier for who he is. He was a left-handed man, and he came from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, for us, those seem like very, very insignificant details. He wore a red shirt and had shoes on. Like, okay, thank you. That doesn't do much for me. But when it comes to the scriptural text, when it comes to an ancient story like this, there's something happening behind this descriptor of who Ehud is. He was left-handed. The Hebrew translation, which is the original language this story was told in around campfires, was that he was deformed in his right hand. Thus, he was left-handed. So this man, from the very beginning, is seen as someone with a deformity. He's not great, powerful conqueror. On top of that, what we know about the Benjamite tribe in the nation of Israel is they're one of the lesser tribes. They're not really great at being a tribe in Israel when it comes to people that you, like, we want to be on that team. This is not that story. So Ehud, right out of the gates, is not seen as some conquering individual. He's seen as someone that has a deformity, and he's someone that comes from a lesser known, smaller, insignificant group of people. Well, Ehud, he comes to the story because in Judges chapter 3, he is selected out of all of Israel to bring tribute to King Eglon for Israel. So again, ancient culture, the way that you continue to make things right between you and the ruling class or the ruling nation over you is that you bring your resources, you bring some money, you bring some things to lay at the feet of the king, to lay at the feet of the government and say, we're still good, right? Like, cool, we're good. You're not going to just wipe us off the face of the earth because again, tribal culture, this is something that could happen. And so for them, they want to work really hard to make sure that King Eglon, he's still cool with the Israelites and he's not going to totally 
wipe him off the face of the earth. So Ehud is selected to bring this tribute to King Eglon. But Ehud does something. It says that he, char- he fashions a sword that's about 18 inches long, and he straps this sword to the inside of his right thigh. And he straps the sword to the inside of his right thigh, and he gets past the guards with his tribute. He gets into the king's chambers with the tribute, and he decides to communicate, hey, King Eglon, I've got something special for you. Now, what's fascinating about this point in the scriptures it is, is it says right here in this moment that King Eglon was a very, very fat man. This is not the Bible uh, just fat shaming or body shaming somebody, okay? This isn't what's happening in this moment. But like a lot of ancient stories, there's a reason that it's giving us the detail that it's giving. It gives us this detail that King Eglon was a very, very fat man because, in other words, he's a glutton. He's somebody that always wants more and more and more and more. He's never satisfied with what he has. And so when Ehud, knowing this, shows up in his court saying, hey, here's your tribute which is not just a big check, by the way. It's not just, here you go, take this, cash it in the bank. It's gold, it's silver, it's resources. It's probably some food and some lumber. It's things that come from your area of the world to say, see, we are prosperous and we'll be prosperous for you. So Ehud goes to King Eglon and says, hey, I've got something special, secret, significant for you and only you. And this fat man, this glutton, this guy that can't say no to anything, he says, oh, I've got to hear what this is all about. And it's here that we pick it up in Judges chapter 3. It says, And Ehud came to him, and as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. Now what's important to note is that Ehud has said, I've got this special message, and it's in that moment that King Eglon sends everybody out of his chambers. So they're alone in this moment. There's nobody else around. It's just him and Ehud, because he, this is a message for him and him alone. He's ready to hear it. He's ready to receive what is just his. And he rose from his seat. In other words, again, another picture of a guy who's usually sitting. He's always sitting because you come to him. He's so anticipating what this message is. He's so invested in getting what is going to be his and his alone. He stands up from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade. Now, visual people, just try to picture this. And the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. If you're looking for a verse to memorize, if you're that kind of person, <laughs> and the dung came out. It says, Then Ehud went into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked him. And the story continues to get more interesting. It says, when he had gone, so Ehud is gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. He's in the bathroom, just let him be, is what they say. And then one of my favorite lines, and they waited until they were embarrassed. I love this because how many of us have been in this situation before? We're at dinner, a friend goes to the restroom, and it's okay, but about half an hour later, you begin to get a little embarrassed about what's happening in that room, and you're not quite sure. This is this moment. His servants, his guards, the doors are locked. We're just giving him his moment. We're giving him his space. He's doing his thing. And then it gets to this point where, okay, something else is happening here. I really love, there's a lot of biblical commentaries on this story, but one of them I found uh, that I just love the way that it describes. Again, 
this, what is fascinating for me, so this might just be for me, I get that, but these are biblical scholars, men and women that spend their entire life di- dissecting Hebrew and all of these things, and this is what they came up with for how to talk about this text, what's happening. At the point when Ehud stabbed Eglon, the murdered man's anal sphincter exploded, creating a sim- smell similar to that associated with the bowel movement. There you go. Now you know what's happening. So here's the story. Ehud is able to then get away. Because when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Syria. When he arrived, Ehud, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he, Ehud, was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. So all of a sudden, the tables have turned. Moab is now subdued under Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. I love this story, and I know that I might love this story more than most of you in this room, but I love this story. I remember reading when I was younger, and here's a story about action, a guy that's going to you know, fashion a sword himself and strap it to the inside of his thigh and sneak it in, and because he's left-handed and nobody is expecting him to have a sword on the inside of his right thigh, and he's able to get it past the guards. I love this story of espionage, where he's, he's able to work the enemy to get them in the place where he wants them to be, and then able to kill the king. I love the potty humor. It just has everything for me, and I remember connecting with all of these things. But for me, this story continues to grow more and more and more. When we look not at just the events of what took place, but when we begin to look at the characters within this story. You have King Eglon, you have the Israelites, and you have Ehud. Now, what I find fascinating about this story is not just the names of these people, and again, not just the activities of these people, but the categories that you can begin to put these people within. That when you look at King Eglon, he is seen in this story as the oppressor. He's this man, this individual that wants more and more and more and more, and he's going to get more for himself. He's going to get more out of life, independent of the consequences or circumstance that it creates for those around him. He's the oppressor. He's the one that says, I'm going to take from Israel everything that I rightfully want and think is mine. And because of that, what we see is the Israelites then are the victim. They find themselves in this place that they don't want to be, They don't want to be held under the boot of another nation. They're their own country. They're their own nation. But here they are, the victim in a space and a place where they do not want to be. But because of the power and the choices of someone else, they find themselves in a situation that they just can't get out of. They are a victim of someone else's choices and someone else's oppression. And then you have Ehud. And the phrase or statement I would give about Ehud is, here is the leader. Someone that is willing to, in the midst of a situation, for the sake of not just himself, but for the sake of others around him, is willing to step forward and do something. Someone that for 18 years, Israel has been under the oppression of the Moabites. But someone that is willing to stand up and say, I'm going to do something. And because of that one choice, 
You, we just read it in the story. Because of the one act that takes place and him taking out King Eglon, all of Israel rouse, rallies around this man and they are able to take out their oppressor and for 80 years find peace. And it's all triggered by this one man who's willing to step forward and do something. Now what's fascinating about these three categories, the oppressor, the victim, the leader, this is a story that you could probably apply to many stories that have been told for thousands and thousands of years. You could apply them to many books that you've read. You could apply them to most TV shows. You could apply them to most movies that you watch. That there's usually someone, the bad guy, the oppressor, that's trying to get more and more and more. You know, just the Bond villain that just wants all the money in the world, $7 billion, whatever it is. It was a horrible Dr. Evil impression, by the way. But the oppressor, we all know that character. The guy that just wants more, independent of the consequences of other people. It doesn't matter. We've seen this story. We've seen the story of the victim. The people that are stuck because of the oppressor's choices. And they cannot seem to get or find a way out. And their life is going to continue to be the way that it is, even though they don't like it, until something outside of themselves comes in and saves them. And then we have the leader or the hero. The person in the story that is willing to stand up to the oppressor and say, we're going to do something here. Things have to change. Again, it's a story we've heard over and over and over and over again. But for me, this story has so much significance, not just because it's a story that I've heard over and over and over again, but because of what these three things symbolize in my own life and in my own story. I, Matt Blakesley, am someone that knows what it's like to live my life as the oppressor. I know what it's like to find myself in a state where I just want more and more and more. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get that more. That I want more out of my day. I want to be able to accomplish in, you know, 12 hours what most people takes 30, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to force it to happen. I know what it's like to try and get more out of the relationships around me. I know what it's like to be somebody that in my drive for more and more and more, I become the oppressor because I watch the relationships, the friendships, the family around me have less and less and less of what they actually desire and what they actually want because I'm so busy just going after more, independent of the consequences. I know what it's like to try and get more out of technology the belief that this phone in my pocket or a computer or a program or whatever it is is going to make everything better, but all of a sudden I'm a slave to it because I was just going for more and more and more and I'm pressing my life and my day and my attitude and my emotions and my health because I'm just going after more and more and more. I know what it's like to live as the oppressor. I know what it's like to live as the victim, to find my life in a place where I don't like where I am. I didn't choose this. I didn't desire this. This wasn't a part of the plan. But to find myself in a place where I can point my finger and because of what someone else has done, because of their choices and their actions, I'm now in this place that I don't want to be. And that happens all over the place. But I transition into this state of becoming the victim because all of a sudden I come to this place that the majority of Israel in this moment where I'm waiting for someone else to show up and fix it. I use this line all the time. I'm not happy, but I would be if they would just. If she would just stop then everything would be better. If he would just start this, then everything would be better. And I find myself in this role of the victim, waiting for someone else to show up and change and fix the circumstances. Because let's be honest, I'm here not because of my choice, 
Not because of my actions, but because of what they did to me, what they've done, the oppressor. And I know what it's like to wake up day after day after day just waiting for something to happen, but consistently being so unsatisfied with my life, so discontent with how things are going. And then there are moments and then there are times when I know what it's like to be the leader. This picture of someone that is willing to take whatever's happening in and around them and say, we're going to do something. This Ehud kind of moment that says, okay, this might not be a great plan. I'm not a master craftsman of swords. I'm not the greatest individual ever. I'm a left-handed guy, so I've got a deformity, and I come from a small tribe, but I'm going to do something. I just can't sit and let this be anymore. And the choice to make one act to say, I'm going to do something here, whatever that is. It's these three roles that we see. The oppressor, the victim, and the leader. And the power of this story for me is found in asking myself the question on a regular basis, as I've done for years now, what role am I choosing to play? Because here's what this story is for me. The role I play determines the story that I live. That I have a choice to determine what role am I going to play in this moment. I can choose to be the oppressor and find my life going after more and more and more, independent of the wreckage, the hurt, the pain that is happening. We see it taking place, even with our planet physically, that we are continuing to decide we're just going to get what we want, when we want, as much as we want of it, and it's wreaking havoc on our planet. And that's a role I can choose to, to play on a regular basis. I can choose to play the victim, or I can choose to play the leader. So for me, this story comes to a reminder of, okay, I have a choice. And tonight, the invitation would be for you. What choice are you making with how you're going to live your life? The circumstances and situations that are happening in and around you, what path are you choosing? And what does that look like? I think for most of us, we like the idea of this leader path, but there's this part of us that goes, yeah, I'm not really a leader. Because we live in a culture where leadership is this idea that you're some sort of CEO. You make more money than everybody else. You get to dictate the lives of everybody else. And that makes you a leader. That is not the story of Ehud at all. The leader is the person that says, independent of what's happening, there's something I can do, whatever that is. And the leadership is not based on some salary grade. Leadership is not based on how many people follow you on social media and whether or not you're an influencer. That is a broken, I believe, idea of what leadership looks like. The leadership is you and I as individuals choosing to say, okay, I'm going to do something. I'm not going to find my life in the place of the oppressor. I'm not going to find my life in the place of the victim waiting for someone else to do something. I'm going to do something. One act that can hopefully move the story forward. I think if you are somebody that's looking to do this and move into leadership as we close tonight, I would just say a couple things. One, uh, I would say I have to learn to give up on perfection. Again, it's a significant thing for me that Ehud is a guy that is deformed and comes from a smaller tribe. He's not perfect. He's not the guy you pick for the kickball team ever. But he's the guy that does something. And I think many of us know, whatever situation you are, with your job, with your finances, with your relationships, with your family, with your own personal life, with your health, all of us know when there's a choice to be made, many of us are waiting to make that choice, to make that change, to do something different until things feel just right, until things feel perfect, 
till we wake up on a Monday morning and it seems like the birds are singing and everything is just the way it needs to be. And we're like, today's the day I'm going to do that because we're waiting for perfection. And we think something's going to happen. Again, I believe it's in that moment that we're actually living as a victim because we're waiting for something to happen in or around us. Then we can choose to do something. And here's a story of a guy who's deformed and not very significant, and he does something. That if you and I are going to be leaders, that it's a choice to do something and give up on perfection. Give up on this idea that the perfect day is going to come, the perfect situation and scenario is going to come, but that you just choose to do something. The second thing that I would say from this story is that you've got to create a plan. I love that Ehud, he fashioned this knife, he strapped it to his thigh, he had this plan of, I know Eglon is a glutton, I know that I can get everybody else out of the room by saying I've got a secret message for him, I know all of these things, and he creates this plan, and he makes it happen. It's a great story, but for me, it's a great idea of what it means to actually be a leader as well. Because most of us, if we're honest, I'll just speak for me, for me, I know what it's like to not live out of a plan for how I'm going to move things forward in my life, I know what it's like to live emotionally responsive to what's taking place. So the, the greatest example I have of this is my wife with, is my uh, in, interactions with my wife, Kate. Because I'll have these moments where there's something I want to talk to Kate about. And I know I've got to talk to her about this. This is important. This is significant. It's going to move our life forward. But I don't make a plan to actually talk with her about it. I don't, you know, set up a good time where her and I can have a conversation. No, usually what I do is I wait until the end of the day when we're having some sort of tiff and some sort of argument about something else, and I decide, oh, now's the time I'm going to bring this up. And so I choose to say, okay, yeah, you might say that, but you always do this. Boom. And what's happening in that moment? I'm not bringing a plan. I'm not leading into anything. I'm actually being the oppressor. I'm actually using it as a weapon to attack her. And even though I might feel justified in saying, I need to talk to my wife about this to get on the same page, whatever it is, I just respond emotionally to what's taking place. I think it's significant if you and I are going to be a leader with our lives and how we go about things, that we make the choice to formulate a plan. What does that look like? What's a day look like for you, for you to be a leader and make a choice for how you're going to go about things? What's a week look like? What's a month look like? Again, for me personally, these kinds of things have been, this story has been so transformational for how I live my life over the last probably 10 years. And so much of who I am today is because of a work towards these kinds of things. The last thing that I would say that uh, comes in this story is that being a leader means that you need to be willing to make the first move. Again, Ehud is around a bunch of people in the midst of a family that nobody's doing anything, and for 18 years that's been the state. Some of us know what it's like to be in a relationship where it's been years and you know that there's a conversation that needs to happen. And we're just waiting for somebody else to make the first move. What's happening with your life professionally? What's happening with your life creatively and the art that you're creating? What's happening with your health and how you're choosing to go about your life? Many of us know what it's like to know. We know Something's got to happen, but we're waiting for someone else to make the first move. And the story of Ehud is so profound for me because it's an invitation to say, I can wait 18 years for this stuff. And I can be a victim of this stuff. And I can get done with 2020, and it'd be 2021, 2025, 2030. It'll be a 60-year-old and potentially still find my life in this state and in this place that I'm not content with, I'm not happy with, and I'm not okay with. But because I'm waiting for somebody else to make the first move, to have that conversation, to go there, to make a plan, 
I'm just going to be here now for the next 20, 30 years of my life. And that's the story that I'm choosing to live out in my life. I believe that every single one of you in this room is invited into a story like he had. And I understand the cultural connotations of this word, but it's just the best word that I have. You are all leaders. You all have the choice to look at what's happening in and around you and to choose how are you going to respond? How are you going to go about this year of 2020? How are you going to go about your relationships, your finances, your creativity, your art, your job? And that you and I all have the ability to spend our lives and our story on being the oppressor. To go after more and 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 just bring this trail of destruction. Many of us know what it's like to live as the victim. But for me, this story is so profound because it's a continual invitation to say no, no, no. I am invited to be a leader. And I hope, I, I pray, I really mean this, as crazy as it sounds, if, if you really think about it, I pray that every single one of you in this room would just believe that about who you are. And your voice in your family, your voice in this community, your voice at your job, your voice in your, with your friends and relationships, and that you would be somebody that chooses to live that path. Because it's in that moment that we begin to see freedom, not only for ourselves, but for those around us as well. Just like this story of Ehud. Tonight, I want to wrap up with a prayer. And I know for some of us in this room, prayer is not necessarily, you know, the most significant thing in your life. And that's okay. So um, what I want to do then is to just provide space for you to process and for you to think. But for some of you in this room, I want to speak some words. And I, and I speak these words not as some sort of magical potion this evening, but I speak these words believing that there can be some resonance for us around these words. That there's something in you that, that would cling on to something tonight and, and be willing to step forward. And again, that we as CMYK, that you as an individual, that we would be leaders in our city and our community to find a more beautiful way forward for our lives and the world around us. So we're just going to take a moment, invite you, if you want, to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you want to be a part of this on the praying level, welcome. If you just want to hang out, welcome to do that. God, it's my hope that these words are not something that just resonate with me, that I'm not a 36-year-old man that's still giggling about potty humor, as could easily be the case. But that there would be something about this story, not just for me, but there would be something about this story for individuals in this room tonight, that we would begin to look at our lives and our stories a little differently because of an ancient 3,000-plus-year-old story. And that we would see our lives and situations and the relationships around us as an invitation to not get caught as the oppressor, to not get caught as the victim. And to let another year, to let another period of time go by. 
but that we would make one choice as he had made one choice, whatever it is, to begin to lead and make that first move. And God, it's my hope and the reason that we're talking about this tonight that we would leave this space and we would engage these things and that we would be able to find a more beautiful way forward for our lives and the world around us. In the name of Christ, we pray, we say together, amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Uh, this, uh, this space is so great, and I think part of the reason is because it's an opportunity to hopefully have some conversation and connection around some of these things if you want to. Um, as always, uh, the bar is open and available if you want to purchase something from there. And then uh, there's the taco, vegan taco bar. I'm not quite sure how much is left over, but if you need something, you can grab some of that and tea and water. As always, if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, my hope is that Come talk to me or even have a conversation with the person next to you because we're a community and we believe that none of us are designed or meant to do life alone. And so I hope that if there's anything that we can do for you, you uh, can just reach out and let us know. Other than that, we'll be back here next Sunday at 5 p.m. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here. And uh, thanks for making this first time at Craft Local a success, I think. Woohoo! All right. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while there, you can find out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged in to give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.